Welcome to the John Papaloni Show. This is episode 89. Today I am interviewing Le- uh, Luke Harlan. Sorry about the little uh, mispronunciation there. <laughs> no, no worries. All good, John. So um, I like to start off every interview with a brief bio and not just a bio sort of what you do now, but more of how you got into it, like where it started, where the idea came from and what you're doing now and your why. Okay. That's a tall order, but I'll do it sequentially. First I was born. No. Okay. Well, just <laughs> jump start. Uh, I've always been entrepreneurial in spirit. Um, ever since I came out of school, I went into businesses and um, I matriculated up through the business from the lowest rung to the highest rung. And so I had a kind of a propensity for le- learning as much as I could uh, fast forward through multiple companies and uh, startups and failures. Um, I got into digital marketing and uh, strategic consulting uh, for a good bit. And what happened was, is that I recognized that anything in marketing has a three-legged stool, which is message, market, and media. But when I was working with clients and leadership and CEOs, I I, I recognized right away that some of them wouldn't adapt and adopt the proper mindset uh, to be able to execute the strategies and that we lay out for them when they're, you know, proven strategies and they just wouldn't adopt them. And so I really started digging into the mindset piece. Why are people holding themselves back? Why are they limited? And these are CEOs of successful companies and leaders and, you know, uh, of their businesses. So I, I started getting frustrated. So I decided to learn more about it since I didn't know how do I communicate with them? Uh, how do I get them to see the big picture? How do I go from not focusing on the symptoms to go back uphill uh, to the cause of some of the you know disconnect within the company? And then I started falling in love with the mindset piece, how our brain operates, what holds people back from success, what are the traits, behaviors, and attitudes, uh, and belief systems of the people that just seem to knock it out of the park day in and day out without hesitation. Um, And as I fell in love with that piece, I started implementing that in my consulting business, and then inevitably just moved that into its own arena uh, and started doing transformational mindset coaching just one-on-one with clients who happen to be, you know, they were CEOs and leaders, but also just anyone in their life that started to feel, uns, you know, unsettled. They felt stuck. They felt that they should be doing more, but just didn't know how, didn't have that clarity. Uh, and so I started bringing that clarity, insight, and perspective to my clients. And that's what I do now um, as a transformational mindset coach and speaker to organizations and groups, as well as to one-on-one coaching and then obviously group coaching. Uh, so that's the quick evolution Uh, to how I serve people today, because I emphatically believe that we are all wired for greatness, that we're all wired for success, and we just need to get out of our own way, and people need to learn those tools in order for them to do that. So that's that that in a nutshell is how I came to pass. Right, that makes sense. And I agree with you in terms of the mindset. Like, I'm a realtor, like by like, mainly a realtor. And now I've started a a secondary business, which is uh, coaching. And I went through the same struggle or same objection handling that you were just talking about. Like I, I get people reaching out to me and they're looking at me and saying, Oh, okay. Um, well, like one person would say as an example, like, you know, I'm not sure what you do, but I'm looking for someone to, you know, basically handhold for the lack of better description, but beyond the handholding it's like fill up forms and, uh, and, you know, when they're stuck on certain sections of the, uh, agreement and I'm sitting there going, okay, so you want to pay, coaching fees to be a form filler what exactly <laughs> do you pay brokerage fees for right, you know yeah. like like this is our schooling you should know this at that point and you know you, you have your broker managers for that 
Like you don't hire someone to fill in forums. You know, like it just made no sense. And I'm yeah. sitting there going, okay, well, how many, you know, how many clients do you have? How, how, um, how many uh, clients do you have and where are you stuck? Oh, I don't have any clients. I'm just worried that when I get them, that I'm going to have this problem. Okay. I think your first problem is you don't have any clients. Worrying about the paperwork <laughs> will be a problem later on. I think you need to fill in the funnel first. Oh, yeah, well, that's what you see with a lot of entrepreneurs or people in new businesses is they gravitate what they're good at, which is the, and those are the non-income producing activities. You know, people worry about letterheads and the name of their business or looking good or business cards or, you know, all the stuff that are really uh, unessential. It's who's the hungry market? What value do I provide? And how do I attract conversations in order to then transact in the business? And that's scary for most people because they they're just not comfortable in that position uh, or there's, they don't believe in what they're doing to a degree of confidence. And when you said about skills and that there's such a parallel, because as you become more competent in a skill, then your confidence grows and you can execute on that. Yes. And, that, and that's where I was getting at. Where I was going to go with this is like one of the things that came out and said, okay, well, you know, like um, what I don't need is a mindset thing. And I'm like thinking, yes, you <laughs> do. Because if you think you're going to fail, you're going to find ways to fail. Like. Oh. Yeah. It's, it goes back to like, it's one of those things that like take when you're buying a car. I mean, yep. you see a, uh, you know, you're looking for just a Ford Mustang, a red Ford Mustang. And you yep. like that because you don't see many Mustangs on the road and, and they're usually not red. Now, all of a sudden, the minute you go to the dealership, do you notice that you see a thousand of them? They just sure. popped up. And yeah. that, that's part of mindset because you're not focused on something. Yep. You go where you focus. And if you focus on not winning, that's exactly what you're going to do. Well, you're, that's, you know, you hit the nail on the head because that actual process in your head is called the reticulating activating system, which is your brain is a just a thought GPS. So whatever you tell it, it's just going to find it's going to find more of it. So if you say failure, it's just going to find opportunities to fail. It's going to block out and limit all the success things, just like it blocked out the red Mustangs until you told it to look for red Mustangs. And yeah, they're suddenly everywhere. People are talking about it. You see them in the showroom. You see them on the street. They were always there. Just like the opportunity for success or leveling up uh, or connections, anything is there. But if your blinders are on and you tell yourself that we live in a limited world and those opportunities aren't, aren't for me, then your brain's going to ignore everything else and just go for anything that serves up that narrative. Right. And, and I, exactly. And I, I think personally, I think in a uh, terms of abundance that oh. there's, you know, like if you yeah. want the business, the business is out there. You just got to oh. go out and get it. Well, and that's the scarcity mindset. And that's the polarity of things. It's like either we're in a beautiful state where we're hopeful and we have belief and we have intention, or we're in a suffering state where everything's limited and negative and scarce. Uh, and you can't be in both. You can't share that it's either one or the other. So why not believe and hope and have aspirations and intention for what you do? Because then you just attract that into your world. And by attracting is now your brain's looking for it. It's like if you and I were talking, John, and you're like, oh, who was in that movie? And we both are stuck. But at three in the morning, we wake up and like, oh, you know, that was John Travolta. And you're like, oh, yeah. Well, guys, that's our brain working subconsciously on the problem. Remember, we don't have to be conscious. We just have to put the conscious instructions in and let our subconscious do its thing because its job is to go find more of what you tell it. 100%. Yeah. So with that being said, now sure. – could you explain the process of working with you? Like just say somebody, you know, saw this uh, podcast or sure. came across your website, was interested in working with you. How would the process begin? 
Uh, well, the first thing we would do is we'd have a complimentary what's called clarity call. I get to learn about you. What are some of the obstacles you're facing? What are some of the goals you're trying to obtain? It's just to make sure that we're a good fit, that we understand. I understand where you're coming from, what you're trying to achieve. What are some of the things that have been stopping you in the past? And then if I feel that I have something of value to provide you, uh, then we would talk about uh, the coaching aspect of that. Uh, and then we get into the one-on-one -on -one coaching, if that's the best avenue, where I would explain that to engage, we would actually go through uh, five distinct shifts of mindset uh, in order to get you to where you need to go. So you have absolute clarity, insight, and perspective. So you can start executing, take autonomous and authority control over your mind uh, of how to direct every action that you take intentionally to achieve the objectives you want in any area of your life. Remember that we, uh, as humans, show up as ourselves in every area, whether that's with our family, whether it's in business and our relationships, our community, our faith. Um, if we're not 100%, if, we're, if we have an empty cup, we can't give to others. And people don't recognize that. They say, hey, I'm hitting it out of the park in business. I'm not doing so well with my family. Uh, but that's okay because they balance each other out. No, if you're showing up empty in one place, you're going to be deficient in another place. And we need to correct that. Um, so to work with me, uh, again, we'd start out with that complimentary clarity call just so we get to understand what I provide and who you are and what you're looking to achieve. So that's that first step. And then if we go into a coaching arrangement, then it's going to be based on exactly what you need to achieve your objective. And I'll present that to you and you can make an informed decision if that's something you want to move forward with. Right. That makes sense. Now, I'm assuming that you've come across, you know, individuals where uh, you don't feel they fit the profile. And sure. How, how did you know, like, I'm, I'm sure you get like, like where I'm going with this is I'm sure you get a lot of objections to like objection handling, like yep. how do you handle objection handling? And at, at what point do you determine that uh, someone's just not coachable or not the right fit for you? Well, if they're not, that, that's the thing. If they're very defensive, if, if someone uh, exhibits symptoms that they actually need therapy, I'm not a therapist, uh, I'm a coach. Uh, and, that, and, then, and, that, and that's very real these days. We have a lot of pressures. We have a lot of internal anxieties. We have the external with, you know, quote unquote pandemic that is putting all these things and, you know, fear, fear of God into everyone. Um, so, yeah, there's some really pressures that need to be handled at a therapeutic level, a psychology, you know, psychology level. And so if I feel that something that's there, that's where I'll guide and instruct somebody. Or if they're working with a therapist, I will um, work with them to explain how I coach and what we're looking to do as far as making mindset shifts. Um, it's really, do people want, uh, the thing is, is do people want the answer or do they want to, you know, learn the solution themselves and take ownership of their own journey? Uh, people looking for a quick fix or a magic pill. Uh, that's not what we do because this is, this is self-work. It's hard work. It's looking in the mirror and being honest and open with yourself and addressing the things that are holding you back that have been emotional baggage and really controlling what's called emotional mismanagement. Uh, and that's where the, the, the origin of a lot of our inconsistencies on execution arrive because we don't believe we're good enough um, in a lot of areas. So to identify those people, that's why we have um, that uh, initial call, that clarity call. So I can get a really a good understanding. Is this something that you want someone else to fix or that you're willing to fix yourself? And that's the difference. At the end of the day, you have, I can't, I can't, it's not about fixing. It's about correcting and aligning uh, what you believe to be true for what you want to achieve and make sure they're consistent and in alignment. Uh, if that's not something you're going for, uh, then I can't help you. You have to help you. I'm just giving you the structure, the framework, and the tool set uh, for you to up-level your mindset, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I get that point. So yeah, you're absolutely right. Now, here's the other thing, right? Like, 
we grow up and most of us grow up with the same message, go to school, get a good education to get a good job. And yeah. you know what? And then um, we grow, we follow that path to a point somewhere along the line. We realize that that's not really our path. And we're, so my question is at what point did you decide that just the standard go to school to get a good job and just getting a good job and, you know, doing your nine to five saving for retirement just wasn't, the lifestyle for you that, you know, sure. you had to do it on your own. Well, I, I think it's something that people fail to do a lot of times is listening to their gut. It's just to quiet the mind and listen to what, what does that gut feeling say? I recognized early on, uh, especially going through school and things like that, that, yeah, I, I, I lived in that conventional structure. That's what you did. Everything was very conventional. It's matriculated. You, we live in a society where, you know, you can't go to the next level until someone else passes you to that next level. It's the staircase ascension. And I always felt disconnected from that. I loved working. I loved, you know, since I was a little kid, like I got more gratification out of working and achieving something than I did in school. That was just my motivation. It wasn't the money. It was the accomplishment and the feeling good about myself. Um, and that always was there. So I quickly adapted when I understood what entrepreneurship and I found entre entrepreneurship on the other side of hardship. Um, in the sense that, unfortunately, uh, my, my dad uh, got in a situation where he could no longer pay for my education. And I was suddenly in the middle of a uh, collegiate experience two years in when I got a phone call. It's like, you got to come home. So I had to figure out what I wanted to do. And I had to grow up very fast. You know, I got a job. I put myself through school. I did everything that I thought I still needed to do within that paradigm. But I did it on my own and I learned some very valuable lessons. And what I learned is that by reading and discovering and asking questions and being curious, that there's a whole nother world out there that isn't that step by step one, two, three uh, paradigm of going to school. And especially the younger generation right now, it's not ROI positive, taking hundreds of thousands of dollars in loans so you can answer Jeopardy questions. You're never going to get that back. You're going to be stuck and you're going to be mired in debt. There's so many. This is a skill based marketplace now. And you can acquire skills anywhere. It doesn't have to be in a four-year university. And that's a that's a you know obviously a longer a conversation. Um, but in general, it's really about listening to your gut. Like, what fulfills you? Where is your passion? What do you like to do? And then, can we marry that with a vocation uh, or something you're interested in? And you can always pivot and change. We're adaptable creatures that can learn anything and everything. So you're not just one thing. And your vocation, your skill, your job is not your identity either. And you have to separate those two. Um, so that's, you know, that's the longer answer and there's probably a lot you can dissect. So I'll just let you ask the next question. Well, so you said something right there, right? Oh crap. I just lost my train of thought. Darn it. No um, yeah, you were saying something like learning, right? Like there, we all learn different ways. Sure. And what, like, what is your best source? Like, what do you learn from where some people learn from books? Some people learn from being in class. Some people learn from uh, experiences like for myself, I get kicked in the teeth and then I learn to never do it again. So we all have different <laughs> ways of learning it. Sure. What is your like prime way of learning? I learn, I learn from modeling. I, I, I figure out like, what do I want? I, I mean, there's, there's really only, if you really have aspirations and intentions about something, it really comes down to three things. Uh, what do you want? Why do you want it? And then how do you get it? And then how do you get it is the curious question. And there's nothing that's um, that you want in this lifetime that hasn't been done in some form or fashion in the history of man, which means there's a path. And so someone has done it. So you got to find someone similar that has done something or executed or achieved what you want to achieve. And then you just model that. 
And in this information society, I know we have a lot of gurus and experts and things like that, but but before all the internet and interwebs and all that kind of fun stuff, remember we had books and autobiographies of you know uh, the Rockefellers and these just amazing men um, in the U.S. and I'm sure elsewhere that are just you know they have a playbook and the playbook really hasn't changed. The technology and the tools have changed, but the mindset and the fundamentals haven't changed. So what did they do? And if you look back to the origin story. The origin story is it comes back to mindset. It comes back to character traits, behaviors, thought patterns. Like it comes to you. It's the internal game. The external game is something that can change over time. So my my biggest thing is I take a lot of comfort, a lot of hope and belief knowing that somebody else has already done what I want to do. I just have to go find them. I have to learn from them, whether I invest in them, if they have a course, a mentorship, and I do what they do. And I just be me doing it. So, and I make it my own. If that makes, if that's clear. Yeah, that makes total sense. I, I agree with uh, what you just said there. And in terms of like, yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. Absolutely. And, and that's the thing. Everything's been done. Everything's, ju you just got to personalize it to yourself and how you fit into it. Um, and, and that's the thing, even with my real estate business as an example, so many people, people think, oh, I'm going to do something new. They're trying to break the wheel or, you know what I mean? Like instead sure. of, and the reality is you can't, there's, and it's not that there's a wrong way of doing things. There's just proven strategies. Sure. What we do hasn't changed. How we do it might have changed and how we do it in the terms of maybe our, I, again, where I'm going with this is that our main thing as a realtor is lead generation. Any way you turn it, it's lead generation. Whether you're doing it through, you know, sending out flyers, whether you're doing it through door knocking, cold calling, or whether you're using the internet or social media or websites or whatever. A lot of times I hear people trying to define it as different. The reality is you're still doing lead generation. That's the bottom line. How you get it, as in what your sources are, may have changed, but the objection, objective is the same. Well, sure. And but if you look at the undercurrent of like what what does lead generation have in common? It's uh, it's a skill set. It's a tool. You you have to know how to communicate effectively what your value is and what what is the consumer most interested in? How do you garner their attention? And then how do you invite them into a conversation that positions you as someone who can answer that question? And that's the age old. You got to know their pain. You got to know their frustration. And you got to speak to them on terms that you're identifying yourself who understands what they're going through and that has a remedy for it, has a solution. And that's taking someone from a current state to a desired state. That's like communication 101 when we're soliciting or listening the ability to serve other people through what we do and what we sell. And a lot of that's starting out with relational and then into transactional when you build that trust. And that's where I think people fail, like you said, is that um, there, there's a three-legged stool in life. We have our mindset, we have our skill set, and we have our tool set. And the problem is, is that the tool set's really cool. Hey, it's the flyer, it's the web page, it's the radio ad, it's the, you know, I got this great script. You know, we, we always look at the external, like that tool set, which is good. It's practical and functional, but it's like, um, it's like a hammer. Um, a hammer to an eight-year-old kid is going to put holes in the wall into a skilled craftsman, it's going to build your house. But that craftsman can't build your house unless they have a blueprint. And that blueprint has to come from an architect. And that architect has to be you. And that has to be a thought pattern. That's where your mindset then acquires the skill set to be able to articulate, to, to integrate with that tool set, to execute effectively. The problem is, is when we run to the tool set, what we all do, because it's cool, 
is that we fail the fun the fundamentals, which you're saying, like, what's the fundamentals of lead generation? It's effective communication. It's providing value to the marketplace. So I, I think and people run away from it because they're unsure, they're uncertain, and they think the shiny red ball that they're chasing is going to solve all their issues when actually what it does is just overwhelm, complicate and set you up for failure. And then you think you're a failure because you didn't because or the tools to failure. And I just need to get another tool. Again, we're dealing with symptoms and not the root cause, which is ourselves, how we think and then how we act and then execute. For sure. Now, every business like like we all go through this and it goes back to mindset. What you said, what you're yeah. saying here is that we all go through a poem, a, a point where we have an objective of where we want to get there, get to and we're starting. Um but that self-doubt can always creep in from time to time. I mean, and, I, and it goes with everybody. So my sure. question is, at some point in time, we get that aha moment where we feel that little bit of relief and we build our confidence and now think, okay, it's happening. I'm getting there. I'm not there, but I'm no longer worried about my whatever it was that was holding me back and I'm ready to go. Well, there's What was your was, aha moment? My aha moment was is. My best aha moment was when I took control of my thinking. Uh, I learned how to take control of my thinking because we have our thinking brain, which is the critical area. And then we have our emotional brain and our emotional brain is tied into our existing habits and our subconscious, meaning all those beliefs that are holding you back. Like if you want abundance and money and to be able to help other people and then live a, a life that you want to live. But let's say your parents didn't, you grew up in, a, in an environment with no money or their parents fought about money and it was always contentious or you were preached to that money is evil or money is the root of all evil or just kind of misinformation in that side of the fence. And those, and those are your undercurrent belief systems that you were as a kid, but you're trying to do abundance. They're incongruent. But when you learn to um, you know, verify and validate the beliefs that aren't serving you, verify the ones that are and validate them or challenge and choose new ones, which is what we take our clients through. It's a skill set. And then suddenly you you put in new beliefs saying, no, money's good. It's just a tool to help people. Uh, it can hurt people, but if you choose to use it for good, great. And when you have that aha moment that you actually have the locus of control in your head to how to synergize the, the, the emotions with the critical thinking, then everything else in the external world becomes irrelevant. You're choosing. You have the greatest gift that you could ever have, which is free will. You can choose whether you react emotionally, often down a negative wrong path, or respond intelligently to whatever comes at you. So the aha moment was that I am in much more control of how I think and how then I'm going to decide and act and get results um, and not giving my power away uh, to the external world and allowing other people to control what I felt and what I thought. Um, and I think that was my aha moment was recognizing that I truly have the power and to learn how to manage that in order to effectively execute on the things that I really wanted and get really clear within myself before going outside in the world to make it happen. Right. Now, with that being said, we all have growing pains along the way. Sure. Not every business, not everything we try is a success or sure. at least in the, in the view that we have is a success, right? Because yeah. we all have an image of what we want and sometimes what we get are not the same thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so with that being said, what would be your biggest challenge that you faced and how did you uh, deal with it? Well, the challenge, the, the biggest challenge I had is that I was very, I, I was a, a time who I was, my identity as a man, as a person, as whatever 
with the work that I was doing. So if the business was good, I felt good. If the business was poor, or I was challenged or wasn't executing or clients, I had negative feedback or I was getting, you know, hated on or whatever it was, I was allowing like my, me personally to be affected by it. I wasn't disassociating the difference between people rejecting an opportunity that I was providing them versus rejecting me personally. And I think when you're an entrepreneur or a business owner or somebody who has to represent yourself first, because we all know you sell yourself first your product second and your company last because we build relationships that way from the no like and trust bridge. Um, Cause everyone, there's so many people doing what we do. Why do you gravitate towards one person or the other? It's because you build a relationship with them and you know, like, and trust, and then you'll transact with them. So that was the, that was like the biggest hurdle I had to overcome is separating the two and recognizing that I am a good person. I believe in myself. I'm doing these things. Am I going to be perfect? No. Am I going to make mistakes? Yes. But those mistakes or those quote unquote failures are an opportunity to learn. They're just an example of what not to do next time or to, to pull me in front of like the come to Jesus moment and look in front of the mirror and say, hey, what aren't I doing? What do I need to challenge myself with? What is the story I'm telling myself to why this is failing versus the reality? And it's dropping ego. And when we drop ego and we just look at things for just what is and we're open and a little bit vulnerable to taking advice, constructive criticism and seeking the right information, um, there is no such thing as failure. It's only failing if you don't derive the lesson from it. If you don't just analyze it and say, did this go wrong because it was a poor tactic or did this go wrong be because I executed it poorly? And there's a difference there. One's a skill set, one's a tool set. But ultimately, that mindset has to be a fixed rock, the belief in yourself. And you can have 100% confidence in yourself at the same time recognize that there's stuff you don't know. And what we call that is being a conscious incompetent, meaning I'm aware that I don't know everything as opposed to being an unconscious incompetent, which means uh, I, I just, I'm just screwing things up and I blame the world. I'm a victim mentality. <laughs> but when you take ownership that, hey, I'm good. I, I'm John. I'm John. I'm John. I'm a good person. I sell real estate. I help people. I'm on this podcast. I'm delivering great information. Do I do it perfectly every time? No, I'm human. Am I always leveling up my game to learn more and interview and learn from people and be better? Yes. That's the best we can do is that we're not fixed things, fixed identities. We can grow into the next best version of ourselves, but we got to leave the ego at the door. We got to be open and curious and we got to want better for ourselves and be willing to accept that we're going to make mistakes. And that's not, that's not a knock against our identity. It's just a skill that we're upping. That makes sense. Yeah, I love how you said they have to leave the ego at the door. And I think sometimes that could be the hardest challenge for people. Well, we have the the two big, the biggest fear is fear of criticism of others. And usually, and unfortunately, the biggest criticism we get is from the people closest to us. Because when we step out of our comfort zone, especially in entrepreneurship or running a business or doing something that's not, you know, conventional, is that the people around us that love us the most don't want us to get hurt. So they will tell us, oh, get a real job or do something else that's not going to or that's going to fail or that's a high probability. And the first reaction is they're doing it out of love and kindness because they don't want you to get hurt. The second thing is that when you do something and you step out of line and do something on your own and you go for a bigger vision, that makes people feel uncomfortable because what it does is it shines a spotlight on them, on their insecurities, their regrets and their fears for not doing it. 
And then when you do that, they're just going to project their anger onto you or their frustration onto you because you're doing something that they wish they could have done. And so there's two avenues to that. The problem is, is that regardless of which motivation, you find yourself really alone when you're and you're already vulnerable stepping out there. So that's why the most important thing is finding a community of like minded people and evolving. And that's what I say, like the mentorship route or finding someone who's done it. And nine times out of 10, if there's a mentor, there's a community around that mentor that's doing something right, that you want to surround yourself with those people to feed off, to collaborate, to learn from. And that just puts you in a better state of mind because some people, the, the people closest to you may not be those people. You still love them, but they're not going to go with you. Right. You know, that was a mic drop moment there, right? Especially like how you said, when someone's criticizing you and, and, it doesn't go their way. There's light spotlights back on them. Oh, so yeah. sometimes the negativity that can come out of them has nothing to do with you. It's just that they don't like the spotlight on them because they want to be doing it and just don't have it in them to do it. Right. And that, and that's the thing. And that's where you, that's the, the biggest switch for me was, um, you know, they're called, you know, I guess in today's vernacular and social media, the haters, you know, the people who just, you know, are trolling and things like that. It, the, the biggest thing is that it was it was going from the sh shift of like wanting to argue with them to then having tremendous empathy uh, for them. Because all I do now is recognize that they're hurting. Same way I was hurting. It's not like any of us have not judged another person. We live in a very judgmental society. And nine times out of 10, we're judging because of our own insecurities to make ourselves feel better. Think about it with the limited abundance mindset and scarcity. Oh, they're only rich because they did something wrong. It's daddy's money. They inherited it. They won the lottery. They didn't earn it on merit or whatever. We're trying to tear people down so we so we don't have to rise up because we're too afraid to take those chances. And then that's where we project on people. And it's understandable. It's not validated. It's just understandable. But I can empathize with it because I, too, have been in that mindset. And we call that mindset like below the line thinking as opposed to above the line thinking. There's a great book called The 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership by Jim Detmeyer. And one of this was the above the line thinking mentality, meaning that, and it can really be summed up in this one phrase. And when you switch the paradigm of how you think from life happening to you to life happening for you. And when you get to life happening for you, you're in that positive above the line thinking where you can say, so no longer is there an obstacle, it's an opportunity. There's a message in your mess. There's the ability for you to look at any circumstances, even the most horrible sort of situations, and realize there's an opportunity in there to rise above, to get through it, and to what we say is to grow through what you go through. And that's how we become the next best version of ourselves to tackle any, any problem in the future by fortifying the strength of our mindset and of our emotional management. And when we get to that point and realize that we're good with who we are, then we become more empathetic to others and understand they're also in pain and we don't take it personally. Makes sense. That's the thing. I've been blessed and fortunate in the way that I've never really worried about what other people thought of me. In fact, to be honest, a lot of the uh, trolls and whatever, it would fuel me. It would fuel me. You know what I mean? Like, and maybe not in a good way, maybe it's a bad thing, um, but it's one of those things that it never stopped me. Like even growing up, my uh, dad, my, I would say my parents or my dad was uh, very, not negative, but he's, uh, you know, woe, you know, is the world, the end of the world. And, uh, sure. you know, you got to follow the path or, uh, you know, fall off. And, you know what I mean? Like everything was always a problem. Right. right. Like, and with that being said, no matter what I could do, it I could do no right. 
You know, and, and that was fine. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. In the beginning, the few, first few times, it, it's obviously upsetting. It's like, well, what the hell, right? Yeah. But but after a while, it became my fire. The more someone told me I couldn't do something, absolutely. The more I was going to do it. Right, and that's and I think that's one of the things that you point out when you said, "Oh, you did, John." You mentioned like, "Oh, I don't know if that's the right thing or the wrong thing." It just is, and then when we start taking one of the judgments of whatever gets you motivated on the long term that inspires you, you're turning it into a good thing. Like, and what I say about that, there's some people who are in survival mode and they might use that, um, you know, that parent or that person who's the naysayer say they can't do it. And then you might have a chip on your shoulder and you say, I'm going to prove them wrong. And if the proving them wrong is the catalyst for you to change who you are, to find a plan, to execute the plan, to work your face off, to achieve what you want to achieve. And that's what gets you there. What, nine times out of ten, what you're going to find out is that chip goes away and you're doing it for yourself. You create a belief system. You go from negative to positive in your mindset. You fortify who you are in your identity. So you're, you have a thicker skin, even though it was a negative that drove you. It just evolves into a positive. It's like someone saying, you know, I want to get rich to buy that Ferrari or that Lamborghini. Well, they're going to have to learn the skills and the discipline and invest the time to get to a point to afford a Lamborghini. But when they get to a point of affording a Lamborghini, the Lamborghini is irrelevant. They don't want the yeah. Lamborghini. They've created a life because they've matured and they keep and they keep leveling up in their mind and opening up new opportunities and new ways of thinking and new ways of being. That that person who wanted the Lamborghini is not the same person they are now. They may still want one or buy one. That's fine. But they don't need to. Because they already have the self-validation. It's not an external thing. But whatever is the catalyst, hold on to it. Everyone needs a catalyst. And the catalyst doesn't have to be like, I want to do good for the world. That's irrelevant. Whatever your catalyst is, use it to get you where you want to be. Because by the time you get to the past where you can tell someone, I told you so, you've matured past that. It's irrelevant. They don't mean anything to you. Instead of, hey, I love my dad but I don't have any expectations for him to be anything, but he is. And I'm good with it. I've made peace with it and throw all the darts you want. I still love you. I just feel bad that you're wired that way, living in that negative world because you're not experiencing the joy and the abundance of being connected to people at this level. And it's not a condescending thing. It's just a reality. This is what I choose to embrace. And again, sometimes you just got to accept people for who they are, but you need to leave them behind in some respects. Yeah. And I'll be honest. I have one word that can describe my uh, emotions, which is gratitude. Absolutely. Because a lot of times people say, I wish I can change this. I can change that. And I'd go back and do things. I wouldn't change anything because quite frankly, I would not be who I am today or who I'm going to be tomorrow without my experiences from yesterday. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's the biggest, you know, I don't want to go back in time. I mean, because it's like if people always say, they're like, if you know what you know now and you can go back in time, then I'd be the most boring person in the world. What would you do when you're 12 years old? Oh, yeah, of course. I yeah. invest in Facebook and Microsoft and like, you know, yeah, but you're not thinking like you don't experience, you don't mature. It's through experience is how exactly. we um, now, and, and it defines who we are. Don't get me wrong. I'd like to go back to 21, but it has nothing to do with the experience. I want to be 21 just because I don't want to be 45. <laughs> it's got, not, it's got yeah. nothing to do with the experience. I, I can't move as well. Yeah. But I think I think that one of the greatest expression I ever heard was youth is wasted on the young. Um, you know, and people just kind of, you know, you look back and this is where the term regret is so really powerful. 
Um, and it's something I've read books on it. There was a, a care provider nurse uh, who wrote a book years and years ago um, after interviewing, you know, hundreds of people in their twilight years on their, you know, way, way out. Uh, and, the, and the number one and two things is that their regrets in life uh, were one, not, not keeping connected to friends and family. And the second most popular, the biggest regret was not taking a chance on their dream, was not putting themselves out there, was not, you know, going to a different love of their life or starting a business or trying something else. And that's their biggest regret. And the problem is at that point, it's too late, you know, and, but we can learn from it. It doesn't matter if you're 25 and think you have to have one life or right now you're 55, you still have the opportunity to evaluate your life and take that chance. You already know where you are. And if you're in pain now, you already know what that life's like. So why have the regrets? Take the chance. What, what's the, even if you take the chance and you find out it's not for you, you took the chance. There, there's no downside. You already know where you are. You know, it's like, I think that's the biggest thing is that we create fears that are irrational and then we justify them and we hold ourselves back. When, if we went back to when we were five, do you, a five-year-old gets up and dances in the middle of the auditorium. He, you know, goes, licks the window, plays with his cars. A boy will try on a dress. A girl will go do what? They don't, people don't care. Like kids don't care. They're creative. They're exploring. They're, they're fascinated. They're open. They're engaging with the world. They're just learning and have zero care what anyone else feels or thinks about them. And we have to get back to that creative play in our minds and just say, what do we want to do? This is our life. At the end of the day, no one really cares about us as much as they care about themselves and their lives. So live your life. I mean, be a good person. That's just a personal point of view. But like in the sense of who you are and what you want to do and how you want to feel, you have complete control over that. So embrace it. Do something different if you're not happy where you are. You're right. And that you have one life. Like uh, you have one life. You, got, you, you can't exactly come back and do it. A redo so why not live it the way you want to now and in, in on the counter of that yeah yeah you have one physical life but you can live so many lives in that physical life like think about the people you know you're a dad one time now you're a grandparent or you're a bit you were within a business now you own a business uh you live in this area now you live overseas i mean you can there's so many possibilities that but we can find ourselves again those cookie cutter things um, because, you know, society puts us in a box and we accept that box, but we realize that we're actually the ones putting a self in it. Like you're allowing it to happen. It's, you know, the old adage, like when they, and you've heard it a thousand times when, you know, the elephant, when it's a baby has this big steel chain into a stake and it can't, you know, it tries to get away from the steel chain and being tethered and it can't get away. Uh, but over life, the elephant gets up to a couple thousand, you know, 5,000 pounds and they just tether it with a small rope and a wooden peg that the elephant could easily tear out. But in its mindset prison, it, it, it thinks it can't. So it doesn't ever try. And I think that's the biggest, that's the saddest, um, you know, analogy that we have on most people in life. And it's not to say that everyone needs to, it's not a judgment saying everyone needs to go be an entrepreneur uh, or, you know, learn to fly or move across the country uh, or do all these things. It's just to uh, creatively express and evaluate what haven't you done? What would you like to do? What would you be open to learning about it? just to broaden your horizons and your world to maybe get a little more passion in your life, to a little more creativity to see if there's something you want to do. If you're content where you are, but you've explored those things. Awesome. You know, that's great. But I, I just think we're not challenged enough and we sort of accept mediocrity instead of being extraordinary, which is what we were designed for. 
Right. Now, here's the thing. Now, I think what has happened is entrepreneurship has become the cool buzzword. Word, I mean, not world. Sure, sure. Cool sure. buzzword. And so many people are, you know, want to be this entrepreneur, but I don't think they fully know or how to embrace you know, what that is. They, they they expect it's easy because they see it in the movies. They see it on Instagram. They see all the uh, fancy dancy, the shiny, sin, you know, syndrome, shiny sure. object syndrome. And, right. you know, not everybody's meant to be that entrepreneur. Not everybody's meant to it. Now, you could be a business owner and not be an entrepreneur. There is a difference because sure. one could be an operator and one's a, you know, more of a thinker or a creator. And, and that, there's a big difference between the two. Now, at the end of the day, it's really about being happy. You know, like a lot of times we think of things as right or wrong. And we're taught that growing up, you know, there's a right and wrong. And I don't believe in that. I believe there's a right for you. It may not be right yeah. for me, but it's right for you. Like I'm even going to dip into this pandemic thing right now. There's that whole fight about the vaccine versus the non-vaccine. And reality is at the end of the day, who gives a shit? Because, part of my language, but the reality is, if I'm vaccinated, that was right for me because I chose that. It was right for me. It doesn't mean you have to get it. It may not be right for you. And I think we're spending too much time out there trying to judge people, like you said, and trying to divide things. Like, we're becoming divided over opinions. And somewhere along the line, opinions became taboo. And... that's been a war on critical thinking, and that and that and that's just that's just turning the population into pawns. You know where everything's binary. It's like the old you know Star Wars, like the Sith the the Sith law of either you're with me or you're against me. And when the the people who have the absolute power and the one or one percenters, um, you know, it, to divide the population and let them fight fight amongst themselves, um, just allows you the opportunity to usurp more power. That's just a reality in a in a political pawn game. Uh, but when it comes down to critical thinking, yeah, I wholly agree with you. Yeah, it should be a cho- choice. It's a personal choice. Uh, it shouldn't be a judgment, but we get right. you know, inundated with, with other people's opinion. And then since the mass population seeks validation from their primary group without investigation to whether it's really good for them or that's how they think, because inherently as humans, we all want to belong to a group. We're all connected. We That's how we evolved. We weren't just a single cell primor, you know, in a primordial soup and we just stayed away from each other. We collectively come together in communities and groups and tribes and things like that. Um, but all right, when your identity, this goes back to your identity and vocation, when your identity is intrinsically a tri- uh, you know, tied to an ideology or, or a group, then you, you lose individual critical thinking. And then you just go with where the wind blows for y- your team per se. Um, but one thing I did want to hit on with entrepreneurship, again, it's that binary factor. It's you're one or the other. And no, you're absolutely right. It's what's right for you. But what people don't realize is, yes, they get sucked into the social media world of, you know, Ferraris and Lamborghinis on Instagram and some 22-year-old. And there's an eight-year-old on YouTube making $35 million a year, like showing his toys. And these are just the exceptions to the rule that don't subscribe to fundamental principles and don't subscribe to entrepreneurship in its in its purest form, which is work. It's hard work. It takes time. It takes dedication to scaling up and execution and the trials and errors and stumbling. And they say is, you know, entrepreneur is the only person who wants to work eight, 80 hours a week for themselves as opposed to 40 hours for someone else. But no one ever tells you this, that you can have an entrepreneur mindset 
and still work for somebody else. If you don't want the overhead and the complications of payroll and operations and taking care of physical expenses and, and running a business in its entirety, and you're really good at selling or really good at X thing, then be the best you can in that business. Because if you skill up and you become really good at that with an entrepreneur mindset, it's something that Zig Ziglar once said, if you're familiar with Zig, I is am. that he said, it's like someone else may sign the check, but you fill in the amount. So when you continue the value ladder of getting more valuable and skilling up and not just letting time pass and cost of living raises and things like that and allowing the external world to control your world, when you control what's up in here and have the mindset that it says, I'm going to be better, I'm going to be of more value, I'm going to put in the time and I'm going to work, it's always going to work out for you because you're going to, you can move from business to business. You can eventually start your own business, but if you're good at what you do, you can have an entrepreneurial mindset within another company and really shine. So it's not an either or, it's really of when you wake up in the morning, remember, adopt the mindset that you are the CEO of you incorporated. You get to choose how you think, how you react to the world or whether you respond to it intelligently. And, a, and is it a stepping stone? Am I in a job right now? I may not like, but I'm going to knock it out of the park because my level, my standard is executing at this level to value up, to demonstrate my ability, to show I'm ready for the, for the next level, whether it's here or somebody so somewhere else. And if you show up with that attitude that you're in control and not being controlled by external circumstances and situations, then you've won. Yeah, 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 that's true. Now, in terms of uh, entrepreneur, like, in terms of, uh, what was I going to say? In terms of me, like, someone who wants to get into the world business, they're working somewhere, sure. they're not happy, they don't want to be there anymore, but they got an idea. Yep. What would you say to that person who has that idea and wants to start, but doesn't know where to start? Side hustle. It's, it's, it's like anything else. I mean, you, you can't, you know, burn the bridge, you know, you got to pay for the mortgage or the rent and feed the kids and everything else. If you're unhappy where you are, my first thing is identify what is, what is it in your current situation that you're unhappy with? Is it the external? Is it the job? Is it the pay? Is it the boss? Is it the people? Is it the community? And then take a strong look on yourself. What am I doing in there? Am I contributing to that? Am I allowing to be treated that way? Am I facilitating my own negative world? Where do I want to be? And then really identify those things because intrinsically, sometimes we run away from ourselves and end up in the same place because we're always there. Oh, the job sucks. Is the job sucks. No, your attitude about the job sucks. Like who you are, who you think. So initially, you got to do that self-diagnostic or work with someone to do that diagnostic before you make any moves. But once you decide, hey, I want to do something else on my own, I want to be independent, then start doing it as a side hustle. Stop watching Netflix. Your kids, if you have kids, they go to bed eight to nine, whatever, they're doing their own thing. You have nine to 11, two hours of investment into your business. You have weekends if you work a conventional Monday through Friday, nine to five. You've got to switch up your priorities. Is it worth it to you to skill up and work hard to develop something on the side that is going to grow into something amazing, but you've got to decide that four letter word work. And you got to own it and you got to live it and breathe it and you got to sacrifice it. It's not really a sacrifice, it's an investment for the future. I always ask, what are you willing to give up for 12 months now to have the life you want for the rest of your life? And that's the thing is because you got to test and try and fail on the weekends and at nights in this side, you know, venture, this, you know, you know, business that's going to evolve. And then once it starts clicking and replaces your current income, then you can get rid of that job. 
and then you can go all in on that thing. That's where I say to start. Don't sit there and quit your job saying I have six months of reserves and I'm going to figure it out. You're shooting yourself in the foot. You've got to be able to go through that learning curve of being self-disciplined, managing your time, prioritizing your lifestyle for the for the long term. Get rid of the idea of short-term gratification. It's not coming. Well said. Now, in, I'm going to go touch about uh, in terms of the whole time management thing. Sure. See, from experience, a lot of times things come with certain time management techniques, like scheduling as an example. Yep. So I am sure you're pretty uh, disciplined with your schedule. How like how do, how do you manage your time timetable and schedule? Like, what does your typical week look like? Sure. I well, I prioritize. I do time blocking. It's very simple. It's uh, what I do is I, I fundamentally understand here are the priorities that I need to get done. I do that. I project that out for a week. Here's what I'm doing, uh, and then I'm very disciplined in three areas of my life. One is health, making sure I'm physically fit. I'm eating well. I'm sleeping well. So sleep is a priority. Uh, physical motion, and then nutrition. Because if any three of those are in deficit, you're not going to execute critical thinking. You're not going to have enough energy and stamina. You're not going to feel good about yourself. You're going to lose confidence. So health is a fundamental you know, baseline for me. Um, so my typical day is up at 5, 5.30. I go to the gym. I, I do some journaling. I do some quick meditation and breathing exercise. I make a healthy breakfast. I read for 10 to 20 minutes on a non-fiction uh, book, usually self-improvement. And then I'm at my desk at eight o'clock and I have a time block from eight to 12. I eat the elephant. The things that I hate to do, that I need to do, the creative processes when my brain's awake in the morning, I do all the creative ones, eight to noon or eight to 11, at least get three to four hours in of the things that are important that move the needle, what I call IPAs, income producing activities. And at that point, you know, then there's a break, I eat again, lunch, whatever I want to do. I leave the afternoon free flow. That's going to be admin, operations, meetings, responding to emails, all the bureaucracy of things that are non-income producing activities. Um, and then depending on the evenings, it's going to fall into, uh, do I have my kids or not? Um, uh, do I need a second workout? Uh, you know, Do I want some playtime? Am I going to hang out with friends? Am I going to go to a nice dinner? Am I going to uh, you know, do something to treat myself some downtime? So I schedule in the the core if i can get four hours of work in a day ipa work that's all i need that's going to move the needle if you talk to any ceo or if you audit the the biggest billionaires in the world they'll tell you that they get done maybe three to four hours of actual work even in a given 16 hour day so you got to prioritize and you got to eat that elephant in the morning because it's done we too much procrastinate say we'll get to it later and it just moves down your calendar every each and every time and you've got to be willing to give up other things. If you're, if you have a strong priority, what do you want? Why do you want it? And then how do you get it? And that's the structured plan. You've got to block out time management for those activities. Uh, and then you also need downtime. You need to reset your brain. You need to, you can't go full tilt 24 seven, or it's a, it's a law of diminishing return. You're not going to get as, as much out of it. So that's kind of a loose structure of how I work. Um, but again, time management allows you to be more efficient with your time and it actually frees up more free time to chill, to relax, to entertain when you're disciplined about focusing on that core work. And that core work, the phone's off, the phone's not even in my office. There's actually a study in statistics that's saying even with your phone in your office turned off, your brain is still consciously 
thinking about that phone and who could be texting and scrolling on social media. You actually physically have to get it out and improve your productivity, your efficiency, and your clarity uh, on your focus as far as getting into what's called flow state. So it's creating an environment that you can work, executing the work while you need to do it, and then giving yourself that rest in between. Right. Now, what uh, do you like? Here's a bit of a personal question. Do you like vision boards? What are your thoughts on those? I think they're, uh, you know, at first, (laughs) you know, I heard this way when I watched the movie The Secret, you know, a dozen years ago, um, you know, and we're, you know, watching these things. And, uh, you know, I, I was always the skeptic at first, this hokey pokey stuff. But the more I delved into mindset, the more I uh, delved into those things, having a visual um, field of what you want to accomplish in the future and acting as if you accomplish it now, um, it, it, that future facing is very integral to what we talked about early on with your GPS and, um, you know, how, how your brain works and positioning, like, what are your goals? If you have that vision, but you have to tie an emotion to it. You actually have to be in a state. So if your goal is to have the big house or the car uh, or travel or luxury or whatever it is, and you're looking at those big a private plane and right now you have a dollar to your name, it doesn't matter. Envision yourself getting in that, that car with the leather steering wheel and hearing the roar of the super, you know, supercar engine. You have to actually put your state in an emotional connection to that visualization to tell your brain what it's going to look like into the future as if it were happening now. Because remember, our brain is just a bunch of synapses. It doesn't have a time construct of it. Um, so I definitely, the short answer, sorry, that's a long answer. The short answer is I think visualization, as long as it's intrinsically tied to an emotional connection, that's going to open up the reticulatory activating system to really establish the hard why. Why do we want this? And because now it's an emotional connection as opposed to a checklist of this is what I think you know rich people need or my level of success demands. If that makes sense. It does. Now, in terms of the future, what is your objectives going forward? Like, what are you trying to accomplish for 2022? And where do you see yourself going beyond? My, I am really going for, obviously, on a structural level, it's impact and visibility. It's increasing people's awareness that they have a locus of control, that they can control more of their lives. They can free up their emotional state. They, they can do the things that they've always wanted to do, and it's within their power. So it's an impact level of how do I 10x, 100x, 1,000x the people I can reach and connect with through podcasts such as your own, um, through my different you know social media platforms, through my website. The bigger I can get, and that's why I'm 2022 is about me getting on stage, not me getting on stage, but getting the message on stage. I feel like I'm just a vehicle because what it's done for me, I went through the same matriculation of awareness and awakening and now inspiration and paying it forward to other people. I feel like I'm just a conduit for the message that saved me and how I think and how I execute. So in 2022, it's fortifying the ability to be more concise and clear and impactful to awaken, inspire others to take autonomy and ownership of their life so they can start creating exactly what they've been dreaming of. So I want to be respectful of your time. So I want to ask you, where can the viewers or listeners uh, find you? Very simple. You can go to uh, my website, LukeHarlanCoaching.com. That's L-U-K-E-C-O-A-C-H-I-N-G. Sorry, Luke Harlan, H-A-R-L-A-N, Coaching.com. You could, you, there's a link, LukeHarlanCoaching.com. Um, from there, you can connect with me. You can get resources, information, um, all that sort of fun stuff. Follow me on social media. However, I can be value, be of value to you, uh, whether from afar or direct. Uh, I'm here to serve, and I just want to see the best in everybody. Awesome. I want to thank you so much for being on the podcast. 
Oh no, it, John, it's, it's absolutely my pleasure. Keep doing what you're doing. Bring the, bringing these guests, asking the questions. Uh, I love it. I'm so proud and honored to be a guest on your show. And I'm just looking forward to following you more and uh, in your personal journey, as well as your professional one, bringing people to the stage and helping other people. Awesome. Thanks again. All right. Thanks, John.